Tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, we're going to be talking about uh, marriage. Uh, been married over a quarter century now, and don't feel like I'm a bit better at it than the day I got married. <laughs> Amen? Uh, kind of like it's one of those learning processes where you never quit learning and you never really learn. Uh, apparently, I heard a hearty amen back there. Yep. Somebody better be careful tonight. Some amens might get you in trouble. Uh, kind of like being a pastor. You don't ever feel like you really know what you're doing. But uh, apparently, and it's one of the, to me, just amazing things about the Bible. You know, we've been in First uh, Corinthians in the series, The More Things Change, The More They Stay the Same. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's the truth uh, as it pertains uh, to everything Paul's talked about here, but especially uh, about marriage. This church had problems with division. We talked about that. People raising others up in the church. Uh, they had problems with pride, spiritual gifts, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Um, and uh, probably their biggest problem was that they were saved out of a pagan culture. So everything around them, what they were living in, what they had been taught, uh, was totally against this new uh, life that God had called them in. So there was a battle going on there. They were brought into the church, and they had trouble getting rid of that old stuff. Uh, and Paul was writing them uh, to kind of clear up some of those uh, things. And you remember that Paul founded the church uh, there in Corinth. When you read in the book of Acts, uh, God had told him, you know, that don't be scared, Paul. I've got much, many souls in this city. And... So Paul had uh, much success uh, there. But when you find a church like this in a cosmopolitan place like Corinth, no doubt there's going to be problems uh, in marriage. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 to you tonight, beginning at verse number 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless... To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over of his own body, but the wife. And I'm going to stop right there and, and say something. Uh, throughout the course of history, uh, Women had been oppressed. Uh, women had really no say in society. And for the first time, it's one of the things about the Bible that's so uh, different. And, and it was radical that when Christ came, uh, he established a new order. And Paul here basically is saying that the wife and the husband are equal in that marriage relationship. And that was radically different than what they were living in at the time. And I say praise God for it, uh, for that. Uh, verse number five, defraud ye not uh, one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. And, and one of the things that Paul wrote about to the Corinthian church, we'll get into it later, uh, is the gifts. Uh, and one of the things that I try to talk to people because, uh, and this is kind of out of context, but he's talking about gifts here, so I'll just talk about it now, um, is 
a lot of these modern day, what I would call charismatic, uh, you know, teachers and, and preachers, uh, the name it and claim it, and, you know, and all of that, get a lot of their teaching on the gifts out of 1 Corinthians. But I would uh, uh, say, especially as it pertains to the gifts, most of Paul's teaching as it pertains to the gifts are negative, uh, especially as he moves on over into 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and, and chapter number 13. Uh, basically, it's what not to do with the gifts and how not to treat the gifts uh, because they're misusing them. Um, but he does say here that some people are gifted to remain single, uh, some are not. So he goes on and says, uh, verse number 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, meaning single. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Uh, one of the problems they were having in uh, the Corinthian church uh, is, well, they had several problems, but in Corinth, because they lived in a pagan society, and it was during this time when Rome ruled the world, it was a very patriarchal type uh, society, that it was common, even accepted, especially for those people who had money and power, but basically for everybody, uh, a man could have a wife, but then he could have five or six girlfriends, eight or ten girlfriends on the side, and that was perfectly acceptable. Well, Paul was trying to combat that. Um, and, but that's what the people were there, uh, were living in. Uh, records from this time in the Roman Empire uh, are very clear that there was some uh, people who had went through as many as 25, 26, 27 marriages and divorces. Uh, why in the world somebody would want to go through all Well, I'd say one reason was it was a lot easier because men had the power just to discard their wife and get them a new one uh, against all that God taught. But they were doing that. So Paul uh, wrote this. But that was one end of the spectrum. Uh, adultery was rampant. Um, but then you had the other end of the spectrum. You had those folks that were saying, okay, now we're Christians and we're serving the Lord. And because we're now Christians and now we're serving the Lord, marriage is off limits. Everybody needs to stay single, stay celibate, and give everything to God and don't have nothing to do with a man for a woman, a woman for a man. And I think Paul here is saying, well, that's just as wrong as the other end of the spectrum. Now, the Jewish, and there was a lot of Jewish Christians in this uh, time there in Corinth were from the dispersion. The Jews had had to go all over the Roman Empire, so no doubt there would be a lot of Jewish Christians here. Um, they came from basically a standpoint that a person had to be married. Uh, if you were going to be any kind of standing in society or successful uh, then that person had, and they used God's commandment to Adam and Eve to brief, be fruitful and multiply and fill uh, the earth. And if you're not married, you can't fulfill Genesis one twenty eight. You can't be fruitful. You can't uh, multiply. Therefore, you're breaking God's commandment and you're sinning against God. Um, so the Jewish Christians uh, were very, very big on that you need to be uh Married, And then there were those saying, no, don't get married. And some were saying, well, you can get married, get divorced anytime you want. And Paul here uh, is dealing with those issues. Uh, if you look at verse number one, uh, 
Paul says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So, from that, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. Uh, the Bible tells us what God wants us to know. And what we know from that passage is, is that apparently sometime in the past, probably the fairly recent past, when Paul wrote this uh, letter, that someone or some group of people from the church there in Corinth had written Paul a letter and saying, hey, we've got some questions. Uh, that's one of the amazing things about the Bible to me. It's real questions from real people uh, to try to solve real problems. The same kind, That's why I say it's eternally contemporary, meaning it applies just as much today as it did nearly 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote these words to the Corinthian church. So he was writing to them uh, concerning some things that they had wrote him about to ask him uh, some questions. Uh, the Bible's a very practical book that answers those questions. So what's God say about marriage and, and sexual relations and love and those kind of uh, things? Well, from this short passage that we read tonight, I think we can get three truths um, that kind of tell us a little bit what God says uh, about marriage and answers those questions that the Corinthians had wrote. Truth number one. Marriage is not for everyone. Marriage is not for everyone. Uh, Paul says here, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now there are those in the church and they were saying, Hey, you're sinning against God. If you don't have get married, don't have children because it's wrong. You're not fulfilling the commandment of Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 28. Uh, and they were telling people that. But what Paul here is saying, hey, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So marriage is not for everyone. Now, I, the Bible doesn't tell us. There's a lot that I said it don't tell us. But Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? That's his words, not mine. So he had risen among the ranks of the Pharisees. He, he was uh, respected Jew to the point that he was given charge to go out and uh, hunt down Christians and bring Christians in for questioning and punishment for being a Christian. So I would say the odds are that Paul was at one time married are probably approaching 100%. He would have never risen that high in the ranks of the Pharisees um, if uh, he had not been married. So then something happened. Uh, Paul addresses one of the possibilities later on, uh, shortly after, we're not going to get to it tonight, uh, it's possible that when Paul got married or became a Christian, that his wife said, mm -mm, I don't like this. I've been a Jew my whole life. And Paul, you're not going to be a Christian. Me and you live together. And because you're now a Christian, I'm out of here. That's one possibility. But we also know that most people died very early in life. So it's also possible that his wife had died and Paul was a widower. Um, that's one of the possibilities. But we do know here from this for a fact that Paul was at this time single and he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Uh, puts it this way. Yes, it is good to live a celibate uh, life. So Paul here says is that marriage is not uh, for everyone. In verses 34, 3 and 34, turn on, on over. Paul says this, An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. 
his interests are divided. But if you look on down, he says uh, that that ability to remain single is a gift of God. For I would in verse 7 that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another uh, after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So what Paul's saying here is marriage is not for everyone. And if God has gifted a person in that area, we all know that, you know, if a person's got four or five kids and, you know, a wife at home or the husband and four or five kids to take care of, that they naturally can't give or devote their time to service to the Lord. Because once a person has children, their number one priority is to feed and clothe and take care of those children. That's God's commandment. So that's the right thing to do if we have children. So it naturally, uh, by its very nature, being a parent, being a husband, being a wife, uh, puts us in a situation where we cannot uh, serve the Lord as much as we could if we uh, were single. So Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, um, Boy, it'd be some of those people at that point be saying, yeah, Paul, he's uh, taking our side. Those people were saying, hey, you shouldn't get married. Uh, but there's one thing about that. In the Greek language, there was about four different uh, words to describe good. Uh, the Greek language is much more descriptive than English. So in uh, the Greek language, you'd be uh, have a word that would say, man, that's some good ice cream. And then you'd have an, another word for good that'd be like, wow, that's some good medicine. And then you'd have another one to say something like, wow, this is some good rain. It's so good that it's going to provide life and levels of good. So when Paul wrote this word here and he used the Greek word, that would literally be like us saying, that's some good ice cream. It's not the top of the goods, but it's not a bad thing if a person remains single. They would have understood that. So Paul says uh, marriage is not for everyone. But the second truth is marriage is for most everyone. In verse number two, nevertheless to avoid fornication let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So the second truth is while marriage is not for everyone it's pretty much just about for everyone. Uh, most people have a desire to get married, and that's a good thing. Um, he also wrote this because uh, he says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So he was writing this uh, in contrast to what was going on there in Corinth. And what was going on there in Corinth is a lot like what's going on today. Uh, two people just get together and they'd say, hey, we want to, uh, you know, we like each other or whatever the case may be. So they'd move in together and they'd live together, but they'd do it outside of the confines uh, of marriage. And that's what Paul uses that word there, uh, fornication, which basically means any sexual relations outside of the confines of marriage. So Paul says, let every man have his own wife and let every woman uh, have her own husband. So while marriage is not for everyone, it is for just about uh, everyone. Uh, I do know this. Uh, Paul was very clear uh, 
on uh, this thing of, of marriage and having a husband and having a wife and anything outside of that was sin against God. He called it fornication. And today in the culture in which we live, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't give the wrong idea or the wrong representation about what God thinks about marriage. And not only what God thinks about marriage, but what God thinks about fornication. You see, when we do things God's way, it always works the best. I'm not saying it works perfect, but it works the best. Whenever you throw humans in the mix, oh, we always, you're going to have problems. I do know this, study after study after study after study, and it blows the uh, psychoanalysts and the psychologists and the sociologists. It blows their minds when they do these studies because it's not the answer that they would think they were going to get, that people that cohabitate together before marriage have an astronomically much higher divorce rate than those people who just go ahead and get married. Well, I think there's a reason for that. Now, I'm just a dumb old country boy, but, you know, I do got a brain. God give me a brain to think. I think it's something like this. If two people live together, what he's saying to her is, well, I kind of like you and I want to be with you and I want the fruits of, you know, us being together, but I don't like you enough to make a commitment to you. So we'll just live together. And if I decide I don't like you, I'm going to set this arrangement up where I can just get out of here quick as I can without making uh, any kind of commitment. Oh, and that's bad on her. I mean, really, he's done her dirty. But if she's willing to do it, she's in the exact same boat as he is because what she's saying to him is, I like you a lot, but not so much that I'm not willing uh, to make you make a commitment before we move into each other. And I want this thing to where if I decide that I don't like it too much, I can step out and get out of this thing without too much hassle on my part either. So it's no wonder that those people who cohabitate together before marriage end up having a higher divorce rate because they're not willing to make a commitment to one another. Uh, I liked one of the things that... Uh, Vody Balkum. Let's just get to truth number three, and then I'll tell you that uh, story. Vody Balkum tells a story uh, because truth number three is this: number one is marriage is not for everyone. Number two, it's for most everyone. But number three, Paul says, marriage is the only place for sexual intimacy um, between a man and a woman. Now, I think I'll say this: I believe one of the mistakes the church made, and when I say the church, I'm talking about universal all across America and even all across the world is that as the world was changing and most everyone in here if you know history and if you don't know history study history because you can learn so much from it uh, the world changed after World War II I mean it changed drastically especially in the United States and it changed very very fast uh, women left the home they went into the workforce uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It was a necessity to fight World War II, and then we had to deal with the consequences later. Uh, those American soldiers who... Uh, I'll give you a story about my dad. My dad grew up in the uh, mountains over there in Tennessee, and this is a country. I mean, they didn't even have a bathroom uh, until I was in about the 10th or 11th grade. That was when I was, not my dad. They were, his parents didn't have a bathroom, and my grandparents, none of them, or my great-grandparents, none of them had bathrooms. Uh, didn't even have, a, a, like, a sink. They had a pipe coming into their house uh, that had spring water flowing through it. And that thing run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Whenever you wanted water, you just go over and stick it under the creek. Basically, it was a pipe coming uh, from the creek. And uh, my dad, uh, he got 
graduated high school and joined the army. Uh, he didn't want to get drafted because he said if he did, he wouldn't get to pick where he, what job he would be. So he just went and signed up knowing he was going to Vietnam. Well, first thing you know, he goes to Vietnam. And when he was over there, he was exposed to stuff that he did not even know existed in the world. You see, he'd lived up there in them hills all that time. And he couldn't handle it. He paid the price. And years went by uh, before he ever got a handle on that thing. As a matter of fact, until he got saved, he never got a handle on those things that he was entering. I'm not talking about the violence and the war and all that. I'm talking about the wicked stuff that soldiers do when they're overseas and fighting. Uh, he'd never been exposed to it and never was able to handle that. Uh, I think the church has made a mistake after World War II, uh, or, or as our world changed. Another thing that happened, uh, our soldiers went over to Europe, and uh, Europe was much more... Uh, progressive, I guess you would say, sexually liberal uh, than America was at that time. So our soldiers go over there and they're exposed to all of this and they'd never been taught, they'd never been talked about at home. So they go over there and they find these people who are much more liberal as it pertains uh, to, to how they uh, conduct themselves sexually. And so they go over there and they're like, my goodness, I didn't know this ever went on anywhere in the world. Well, they go over there, they do it, and what do they do once they, the war's over? They bring it back home. Um, and that's where I'm talking about the mistake. See, for a long time and a lot of the times, we felt like in the church that it was a dirty word to talk about sexual relations between men and women. I, I read a quote, though, and I love this. Uh, one of, uh, his name's Howard Hendricks. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And here's what he said. We should never be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. You see, we need to talk to our children about these things. And we need to tell them what God says about sex and sexual relations and marriage and when's the proper place. So Paul said, yeah, it's not uh, for everybody to get or to get married. That ain't for everybody, but it is for most people. But the only place for sexual relations is within the confines of uh, marriage. He goes on and says in verse number three, let the husband render unto the wife. So there he did. He set it up uh, within the confines of marriage, do benevolence. That means giving them what they want. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So he says the proper place um, for sexual relations is within the confines of marriage. Now, I will say this before I go on. Whenever, we, whenever I say the word confine, boy, as humans, we don't like that word. We think about a dog put up in a cage, right? And, I mean, you just got this little box, and that poor little dog ain't got nowhere to go, and he has to sit there and look at them four walls of that cage 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, that's what we think by nature because we've got this sinful human mind when we think confines. But what we ought to think is that dog that's got a big old place to roam with one of them collars on him uh, that that thing beeps and shocks him before he runs out there in the road and gets run over by a car. Because what God says that sets up as a confine is always for our good, not to keep us from the pleasure that he created us to experience within the uh, realm that he wants it to be experienced under. Uh, so oftentimes we look at that as a 
something to keep us from having fun or being able to enjoy ourselves. And what God's saying is, look, I want you to have fun. I want you to enjoy this thing that I created. But do it the right way in the confines of the right uh, atmosphere. And it'll be fun. It'll be enjoyable. It'll be pleasure. Listen, great things can come out of it when you do it that way. But if you do it my way, you won't get hurt and you won't hurt those around you. That's why God sets up confines for us not to keep us trapped, but to protect us. So Paul says here, it's to be within the confines of marriage. The husband's to give to the wife. The wife's to give uh, sexual relations uh, to the husband because she don't have power over her body, but neither does he have power over his body. She does. And, and then he goes on in verse number five and says, now remember, the only acceptable place is within the confines of marriage. Defraud ye not one uh, the other, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontency. So what Paul's saying here is, uh, well, let me just say this. In counseling with people, and there's a lot you learn as a pastor. There's so much I don't know, and most days I feel like I don't have a clue what I'm doing, and I'm just trying to trust the Lord to get me through. But one thing, uh, generally, if you counsel with uh, married couples is there's usually only two or three problems that they have. Everything can basically, one of them is communication. That's number one. They just ain't communicating. Uh, that's something that I'm uh, terrible at and hopefully have gotten better at, but I still got a long way to go. Men just naturally don't like to communicate, right? Uh, women, that, I heard that. <laughs> no, you didn't say it this time. Uh, uh, and it's the difference between men and women. Regardless of what the people tell us today, there are differences between men and women. Not just in actions, but there's literally physiological differences between men and women. I don't need to tell you all that. You know, uh, men tend to want to talk less than women. Not good thing, bad thing. It's just a thing. It's the way that we're uh, made. I think it has something to do with men were the hunters that would go out and try to catch the prey. And you have to be quiet. Kind of like me and Wade, Debbie and Shane make fun of us. We'll go hunting together, uh, say five words to each other all day and come back and boy, we bonded. <laughs> uh, men had to go out and hunt. Women stayed around, stayed home, took care of the kids, took care of the, the tent in the garden and all of that kind of thing. And they had to communicate and work together. But part of the men's part of working together, you better be quiet when you're out there hunting the woolly mammoth, right? You don't want to spook that thing and you sure don't want him to charge you. So you got to be quiet. So I don't know that. I'm just telling you, speculating, based on I know that there's differences um, between uh, men and women. So Paul here says, or, or let me get back to what I was talking about, the communication. That's number one. Number two probably is money. Uh, money. That's, that's a big one. Uh, so you got communication, you got money. But then number three uh, is sex. It's, those are the big three. And almost every single time when you talk with a, a couple, it's going to revolve around one of those three or multiple ones of those three or all three all at the same time. Because if you don't communicate, it causes problems. And then what happens is one person will get mad at the other person. And because they're mad at them, well, the husband, you know what he wants. So the wife says, well, we ain't been getting along too well lately so I'm not going to give you what you want and then the wife who wants to talk about this thing and work it out well 
you know, uh, the husband ain't getting what he wants, so he gets mad and he's upset. So he said, I just ain't going to talk about this thing. I ain't even going to talk to you about it. And so he clams up and don't talk about the problem. And then it becomes this self-perpetuating snowball that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. They don't talk. He don't get sex. Then maybe the wife goes out and spends money, whatever the case is. And then, bam, next thing you know, they're in marriage counseling uh, because of that. What, What I'm saying all of that is, is... That's sexual relations are a big problem uh, in marriage uh, for people that uh, are having marital problems. And Paul here attempts to solve some of that by simply saying, look, uh, wife, you don't have power over your own body. The husband has power. So render unto him due benevolence. Didn't ask if you were getting along or if you um, liked him at the time or whatever the case may be. But then, now, I'm not just putting that off on the woman because he says to the husband, he has not power over his own body and those things that a woman needs, you know, affection and talking and all of that would be part of that falling into the body as well. Husband, you don't have power of that. So basically what Paul's saying here, if your spouse needs it, give it to him and you'll keep a happy marriage. Don't think of this as my life, I'm going to live it because when you get married, it's no longer your life. Right? It belongs to the other person. Uh, kind of like when you get saved, your wife or your life belongs to Christ. Well, the picture of marriage, uh, that's why I, uh, I think the Bible paints that picture of salvation as being uh, married uh, and uses that um, uh, analogy of marriage when it speaks about it. Now, I can sit here and I can look at faces out here and think, I can't, people think, I can't believe this preacher's talking about that. Uh, <laughs> But I, I'm going to go back to, I think it's a mistake that we've made in the church because if we don't talk to our children and tell them what's right, then they're going to be like my daddy. They're going to get out there and we can't keep them sheltered forever and they're going to get exposed to things that they're not prepared to be exposed to and then the tidal wave come and it may be like my daddy where it takes years to get over those things so we're better off. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Go home. I'm not going to read it. Open up. If you think the Bible don't talk about everything... You open up the Song of Solomon, right? Don't do it in the King James because it's, it uses such poetic language that we don't use that language today. Get you a modern translation, a New Living Translation, an English Standard Version or something like that. I've read both of them, I promise you. They mean the exact same thing as the King James. I wouldn't lead you astray. And read that thing and you tell me that God don't have a lot to say because you read Song of Solomon, it'll make you blush. I mean, it's a love letter from a husband to his wife, and he holds nothing back. So go home and read that thing and see what God has to say as it pertains to sexual relations within the confines of marriage. So marriage is not for everyone. It is for most everyone, and it's the only place uh, where we are to experience uh, sexual intimacy. Paul goes on and says, uh, well, what he says in verse number 5 is basically that uh, if, you, if you both agree and you want to give yourself over to a time of fasting and prayer and, and you've talked about this thing so you've communicated together, uh, it's okay to withhold yourselves one for another for a time, but then come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Um, we've watched over history. You know what a powerful force. God created it. 
and, and uh, sex is a powerful force. We've seen uh, people just here recently that have literally thrown away their whole life's work uh, because they've given in to sexual temptation. And what here Paul's saying, Satan's going to tempt you if you try to do something that God's not gifted you to do, so therefore don't even try it. If you want to withhold yourselves one for another for a while, after you've communicated, do it, but come back together again. And verse number six, a lot of liberals try to use that, uh, this verse to paint Paul in that he wasn't writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I speak this by permission and not uh, of commandment. Uh, well, who gave him permission? The Holy Spirit did. And I don't understand. Maybe I think probably what he's talking about here is this is one of those issues that during his 13 years in Arabia with the Lord Jesus Christ that they may not have specifically talked about or Christ had not specifically instructed him uh, on. But as he wrote these words, he was given permission and being led by the Holy Spirit to write it. And I believe it. so those words and these words that surround Verse number 6 are just as much the words of God as any other in the Bible. Uh, in verse number 7, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Um, I think when you put verses 5, 6, and uh, 7 uh, together, uh, well, this whole part, this whole part of chapter number 7, because it's a big part of where the Catholic Church gets their doctrine of that priests remain a celibate. And that's just not God's way. And when you try to do something that's not God's way, problems come out of it. Um, and one of the things I've always um, uh, said as I've watched this scandal unfold in the Catholic Church is if they just simply do it God's way, they may not have to deal with all this scandal that's going on in the church. Let, let people get married and do what God made them to do. Uh, and uh, when you don't listen to God and do it His way, well, problems arise. Um, so marriage is not for everyone, but it is for most everyone. And it's, marriage is the only way to uh, express ourselves Sexually, He goes on to say in verse number 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Meaning, listen, that's, that's good if you can be uh, single and you can devote yourself uh, totally. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Uh, get back to what I told you about Vody Balkan, a uh, preacher I listened to on listen to his podcast uh, wonderful just an intellectual preacher uh, got a church over in Zambia I believe it is or is it Zambia I think it, in Africa and uh, he talks about when he met his wife and he met her in college and he talks about how beautiful she was and they met and they went out on a couple of dates and literally it was like a month later they were married and everybody in their family is like ah, you can't do that you don't even know her and Vody Balkum says this. Uh, he said, I met her, and I'm going to tell you what, I don't know if it was love at first sight, but it was certainly lust at first sight. And I was trying to do it God's way. I had a choice to make. Either get married or sin against God. 
and I chose to get married. And I think that's God's way. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say you've got to have a five-year courtship and a two-year engagement or anything like that. Paul said, if you can't do it, get married, for it's better to marry uh, than to burn. I think that goes back over to where we'd already read where he said they burn, or Romans chapter 1, uh, in the desire one for another. That's that same word, uh, meaning that that temptation is constantly there to the point that it feels like a fire uh, inside of you. And Paul said, just get married and relieve that. Um, so uh, when you go God's way on things, uh, it's always enjoyable inside that confine of marriage. The Bible says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I'll say this. Um, even though I've been married for over a quarter of a century now and still don't feel like I know any more about marriage than I did when I got married. I wouldn't go back and change a thing today, even if I could. That ought to make you happy, Shane. Marriage is a good thing. And we've, in our nation and in our society, we've belittled marriage over the past two or three decades uh, to the point that we beat it down. And it was created by God. And we ought to honor marriage with everything, teach it to our children, teach our children where the uh, that marriage is the place where we're to freely express uh, sexual intimacy. Uh, I believe that's what the Bible meant when it said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When we do it God's way, it's enjoyable and fun and nobody gets hurt. I think that's what Paul is trying to say here. God's way is the best way. And those that go the devil's way are going to find shame, guilt, dissatisfaction, and hurt. Not only that, when we do it God's way, we'll be a blessing to those around us. And they'll see that God's way is the best way. That's not the end of his teaching on marriage. That's just what we're going to get to tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that teaches, admonishes, guides. And Father, we thank you tonight for that great gift that you give, sexual relations between a man and a woman. God, when it's done the right way, it's holy before you. Father, I pray that you'd help us, that we'd see it in the marriage relationship. God, for what it is, that it's a gift from you. And thank you for it. God, help us as we teach our children and our little ones that we'd not shy away, Lord, from telling them things that we need to know. God, I know it's not easy. I've got three kids of my own and understand very well. But Lord, it's important that we do so that the world don't fill their minds with stuff that is going to hurt them and hurt others. Uh, so Lord, help us take your word and let it sink down deep that we can teach it to others. Uh, Lord, and thus honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.